podcast world. What's up? I'm Chad. I'm back at you. I got another awesome episode of a man, an amazing man that's been here before, but he's been uh, he's been working through the pandemic, through the coronavirus. Please remember to keep supporting the partners and sponsors that support our podcasts, our TV shows, our websites, our social media, our live events, our concerts, our community events. We're even going to be doing some parades with some farmers and different companies around the farming sector this fall. So be looking for that and be looking for our provider trailer to hit your area to feed first responders of wild game meat, 4-H pork, future farmers of America, lamb and pork, and our brand new American almond beef. Can't wait to bring it all to you. I want to talk today to this man about, I want to start this off by this, like Adam Hood. This is who this is. This is Adam Hood. He's like the one and only. He's when you when you talk about Adam Hood to songwriters, they're like, "That's a bad mofo. That's a bad mother effer. That's a bad some bitch." Um, <laughs> I've heard it all, but I want to start this off by this, Adam Hood. How are you, first of all, my brother? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? You look good. I like that Thank hat. You. Uh, you like that I, hat? Right. I got it from Cifro. Cifrio. Cifrio. When we went to uh, when we went to his uh, place in Arkansas. Pretty cool shop, huh? Did you get some duck calls? I did get some duck calls, yeah. Some great duck calls. I mean, the guy's a master. Isn't he a master? master. He's a a musician, man, I'm telling you. Yeah, he is the musician of the duck call, I agree. Probably the Les Paul of the duck call, I would say. Ooh, I'm going to tell him you said that. Yeah, for real. That's Uh deserving, I think. So when I say that stuff about what people think of your songwriting skills, I've been listening to one certain individual a lot. And I have a feeling that you dig him because I, I hear a lot of you in his songwriting, like in vice versa. And I know BC's in the same. Brent's already told me how he feels about Chris Knight. What does Chris Knight yeah. mean to you? And is he one of the best of all time, hands down? For sure. Yeah, I think he's one of the best of all time. And, you know, the thing is with Chris, I remember when that first album came out. I mean, I remember when It Ain't Easy Being Me kind of hit Americana radio for whatever it was at the time. And like, honestly, man, I don't even remember where that format was other than like no depression magazine and just CDs. And I couldn't tell you where I heard it. Uh, I I couldn't tell you, but I just, I remember that song being, well, I had a friend that would make me like a compilation of like Texas music. Ironically, you know, Chris is one of those guys that's sort of uh, an honorary Texan and, uh, and so I had a friend that would always like make just mixed tapes of Roger Craig or Blue Edmondson and Chris was on there and it ain't easy being me was on there. And so um, that was, you know, my first experiences with Chris were the first record and I've been a fan ever since. And I mean, he's probably, he's somebody that really structurally barely changes as far as like, he writes pretty much in the same keys. The chord changes are all really similar. Like, you know, there's not a whole lot of stylistic changes, but he's made a just a pile of songs and every song is different. And that just goes to show you how kind of lyrically masterful the guy is. You know what I mean? That he can take the same song and rewrite it 150 different times and every single song be different and great, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. That album you're referring to is in 1997, the self-titled, the Chris Knight album. Yeah. Had It Ain't Easy Be a Me, it had another song on there called Frame, uh, mm-hmm. The River's Own. When, when I heard it, I actually got it played for me by one of my duck hunting, turkey hunting buddies, in Kentucky where oh, Chris wow. is from. So he's like, listen to this shit. And I'm like, yeah. I remember when frame came on and I'm like, 
did he just say at the end of the song that he actually did kill the guy, but he was framed <laughs> in doing so? Like the whole time he's making you feel like he was framed. They took me away and you know, and railroaded me on this one way train. And the whole time he's literally, and now I'm thinking like, he's telling us that he's admitting to the murder, but his wife and her lover framed him into killing this guy. Right? Like he was, he was hell bound is what he says at the end. And I'm just like, how cool of a, of a, of an approach is that? And then at the very end, just even if I had to gun him down, and I'm just like, God, that is so like awesome. Yeah. But that's how I, I see a lot of in 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 Cobb has even said that that there's a song by Chris Knight named Rural Route. Have you heard uh, Rural Route? I have, yeah. The lyrics in Rural Route are like how we live. Like the river is up and the road was closed. There ain't no telephone at my mama's house. And he's sitting on a mountain and he builds this fire and he has he's drinking and he's talking to God all day and he he uh he takes another shot and it set him right then he goes down to the road and fills a beer can full of 22 holes and Brent Cobb says that that line has made him cry watching Chris Knight in person so wow. like I, like I, where I'm going with this hood is like you guys are writing songs in this same Americana non-radio supported deal which is BS which I've said mm -hmm. before yeah but what a way to freaking live your life, right? To be able to write these three and a half minute stories and to have somebody out in the West United States talking about Chris Knight and what you do. I can name uh, all the songs. I mean, I, I don't know how much you know about what I know about your music and what, what the people that I run with, how much we listen to it. But when you hear the way that you wordsmith hell of a fight, when you hear the way that you wordsmith songs like she don't love me no more, it's not regular cookie cutter lyrics. It's, it's, it's a different way. I don't know if it's bluesy. I don't know if it's a soulful, the soul that's in them. I don't know what sets it apart. And that's what I'm here to ask you is what is the difference in the way that you and Cobb and Chris Knight, and I compare you guys all the same because it's music that literally will bring you to your knees. And there's not a lot of that on the radio today, in my humble opinion, which I'm sure listeners are getting tired of me sounding like a broken record and saying that, but there is a such thing as real lyrical music out there still that makes you go, holy shit, the way that he just said that makes me just hurt or it makes me want to high five somebody, whatever. So I have seen so many people react to this music that now that they're getting turned on to you guys the same way and they want more of it. What is it though? What is the difference? And I hope you understand my question. I think it's really one of those things to where, you know, I mean, I can, I can say this from a, a, a being in the middle of being a songwriter in Nashville. There's, there's a, and I think we talked about this last time. There's kind of a method, you know, I mean, there's, there's a certain chord structure and I mean, man, they, they work this down to science, you know, I mean, they understand what keys, what tempos, what just sort of all the algorithms, if you will, that just sort of make songs appealing to a large amounts of people. And that's, that's a really interesting way to, to look at it, but it's not very creative. You know, I mean, to me, like, I feel like that that sort of puts you inside a box that as a, as a writer and as a creative person, you kind of want to always get out of, you know? And so, and, and you know, for me, I try not to do that. I try to really sort of work all the parameters of my influences, you know, because as far as like lyrical content and like how I sing songs, um, I mean, I was influenced as, as a singer, I was probably influenced by everyone from Otis Redding to George Jones. As a writer, 
Um, I was influenced by, you know, some of the guys that, that were eclectic like that, John Hyatt, Delbert McClinton, but guys that, that sort of had a different perspective. But then I started there and you just start digging and you keep digging and, you know, you become a student of people like Chris Knight, you know, and I mean, I was a big student of Chris Knight's, you know, Prine was a big influence of mine. Uh, let's see, just a lot of people, you know, just a lot of writers and you, you study their stuff because you really want to, un- there's, there's gotta be something there that you, that you gravitate to. There's something there that you can connect yourself to. And that's like what Brent's talking about. You know, that's the connection where you can say, all right, I've been there. You know, I've been shooting at that same can that you're talking about. I've driven down that same dirt road that you're talking about. And as soon as you can attach yourself, man, that's it. I mean, the race is on after that. And do you think that when you start hearing people that, um, you know, the Chris Knight story goes, Chris was on the show last week Mm, and, and I mean, I was blown away. Like I get giddy, right. Thinking about, I got to talk to Chris Knight and he's 60 years old now and Mm. he's still living the same exact life that he lived on when he grew up on rural route. He told the story of rural route. Um, he told the story about how, when he started riding and was in Nashville, I think it was at bluebird that his manager who runs carnival now, Yes, Frank Liddell. Yeah, Frank Liddell told Chris Knight that you need to be the deliverer of these songs. And that's why originally he was just going to be a writer. Mm -hmm. And then Frank's like, you have to sing these because this is you. So then that's when that album came out in 97, which should have had radio success because they are gems, right? Like you cannot write a better country song than it ain't easy being me or framed is, is, is a really well-written song, but it's probably not like, I don't know. They're all genius to me. Right. So his his story goes like, I I wasn't even supposed to be the one singing these songs. Right. Right. I kind of look at you the same way of like, I don't know if somebody else can deliver your songs the same way that you do. Now, as a songwriter, you have to keep that open, right? You have to keep that potential there because that's your livelihood. But well, when you yeah. when you start, I'll let you hold on. When you start writing at them, do you write them for yourself originally? But then you're like, well, I could see Al Dean doing this or I could see Luke Bryan doing this because I know y'all write with Luke Bryan and Luke Bryan is a radio smash expert right like he's created some smashes so or do you automatically go all right i'm going to sit down and write for luke today i always i mean my motto has always been if nobody else will record it i will you know but at the same time like what you're talking about you know as a writer you kind of you you can you can sing yourself out of a job you know and you can write yourself out of a job and that's 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 the kind of thing i mean you know there's there's a fine line between doing things that are going to get cut and doing things that are that are that are that are ultimately creative. There's always a line that you're teetering, and so you know. F- I guess for me, I start out. I never start out with anybody's. Ah, that's not true. It just depends, you know. I mean, there's there's guys that I know I can, you know, like I'm writing for Dave Cobb. You know, I there's there's things I there are artists that I know I can do what I, I know I can do what Anderson East does. I know I can do what uh, what Isbel does. I know what I, I know I can do what Brent does. I know what I'm, you know, and, and so if they're pitching songs to guys like that, I know I can do stuff like that. Like I know that my writing style, if I listen to their stuff, I can probably find a common ground to keep it me and still keep it them. But honestly, they're not, you know, I mean, the guys like that, you know, and I mean, I know you've had like Justin Moore on there and we pitched a bunch of songs to guys like Justin and, and uh, guys like that, they're not looking for 
you really, you know what I mean? Like they're not looking for Adam Hood songs They're They may be looking for Adam Hood songs that sort of cater to what they are, what their style is, because at the end of the day, I mean, Justin's got a great style of doing things, you know? And so there's, you kind of have to be conscious of that, but at the same time, you know, I mean, I'm, I have a job because I do what I do, you know, if, if that makes sense, you know what I mean? It does. And when you start talking about, you said something in there, Adam, that said, you know, that, that Justin w- isn't looking for me. He's looking for something that would be a more wider appeal, but would still yeah. be something that he would write. You know, Justin he even said on the podcast, like, you know, I, I probably wouldn't sing something if I couldn't see myself writing it. There you go. So with that in mind, with that being said, how, how does David Lee Murphy become such a huge like that he's got to go down as one of the best ever as far as like creating magic right he's got to right still this many years later he's doing it Mm -hmm. um but he writes about himself a lot they say that dust on the bottle was written in like 20 minutes based on his like how he lived on that road so but that appealed to a lot of people like dust on the bottle i don't know I wouldn't think that maybe 5% of, of America's high school population has ever pulled up into, into Creo's yard and asked him for something special to make this date go better. Now, you might go to your dad and say, hey, dad, can I borrow some money to go get a rose? You know, something like that. But to hear it put down like what DLM did, does that really – is it just because the, the, the riff and how that hook hit? Like, there might be a little dust. Like, is that what made that hit? Is that what you're looking for? Like, his yeah. that story might not appeal to maybe, but 5% of this population that that would happen to a high school kid, right? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's kind of like a scenario with Chris. You know, I, I think I think David just sort of found a groove. You know what I mean? And and he just kind of found a style. And, you know, you can tell that like, like a song like Dust on the Bottle, it's, it's not overthought. You know, there's a simplicity to it. There's a simplicity to the song, to the the the, the way it's sung. You know, I mean, it, it's not it, it's not a song that's in a real high vocal register or anything like that. So, I mean, anybody could kind of sing it. And I mean, it's just a, it's a great tune. And I think I think Dave's probably one of those examples of somebody that's, that kind of just he he sort of tapped into that place as a writer and just said, I've done it once. I'm just going to keep on doing it. And, and he, he has continuously kept on doing it. And, and there, that's the beauty in it. Like he writes really commercially successful songs and they're still great songs too, man. I mean, and, and that is, that is not a common occurrence. I mean, I, I feel like that it's either you're writing commercially successful songs or you're writing creatively deep songs, but every once in a while, you know, you'll find, Tim McGraw cut one. He'll cut a Lori McKenna song or Al Dean will cut one of David's songs or, or, you know, guys like that. You know, I mean, I know Justin's cut a bunch of Natalie Hemby songs and I've, Natalie's an old friend. And, and, you know, so there are, there are songs that, that kind of slide their way through that are equally as commercially appealing, but they're also their lyrical content is good too. And, and so, I mean, that's what as a writer at the end of the day, if that's not your plan, you probably ought to find another plan. You know what I mean? You really kind of want to do that. It's just funny though, how DLM could take a, Uh, John Deere and turn it into a kid's book. He almost turned it into a kid's book. Like when you're in kindergarten, you hear about a big green tractor, right? And that becomes arguably Jason Aldean's biggest hit to date. Probably. I mean, I mean, that was one of the biggest hits of the last 15 years, probably. And David Lee Murphy says that he just wrote that in a few seconds or a few minutes out on his tractor. Like, but he turned it into like this children's book, then mixed it with love and like that, that romance. And you're just sitting there going like, he literally just said big green tractor. 
And it's just, <laughs> it just seems like so simple to me that, that he just stuck with that. I've got a yeah. big green tractor. I got dust on my bottle. I'm looking for the party crowd. There was nothing big about in party crowd. Even when you hear it, it never once said there was a tailgate down and a bunch of people at a bonfire and all these chicks around and cut off jeans. And it was so simple of like, put up my keys. I'm freaking looking to get smashed tonight. Yeah simple right yeah and 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 doing it without like you said you know sort of leaving it up to the 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 listeners imagination you know what i mean you don't have to necessarily put a tailgate in there let them put the tailgate in there you don't have to put a dirt road in there let them put the dirt road in there and that's the beauty in it man you know i've got i've got two kids that that love music and uh i'll tell you this kids songs are hard to write because you know it's it's really hard to get in, and it's funny because it's a real liberating thing. Like it's really hard to do something so simple that it's automatically appealing. It's, it's, it's a challenge, you know, I mean, it's a challenge. Some people are just better at it than others. It's still a work in progress for me. When you start the the process of writing hell of a fight, which mm. everybody in the world should hear this song about life. What are the lines when you get past the part of, um, went through all your money in Nashville, but you're still keeping your dreams alive. Right. You hit a little lick there before the hook of it's been a while since I fell asleep on my own. And the next mm. one is it's been kind of, it, it tells me like it's been a minute since somebody gave a rat's ass. If you're coming home, is that the, is that the, 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 the chord progression to those two lines? I don't know if that's the correct terminology of music. I know chord progression is more of a musical term on, a, on an instrument, but how that goes, it's telling me that you haven't been medicated and you need medication mm. to sleep, whether it's liquor or whether it's pills. And then all of a sudden you're saying, nobody really has cared if I come home in a minute. Is that what that song's saying? Yeah. So, all right. So kind of that song fell out. I had, I had the first four lines of that song written and I had a writing appointment with Ashley Monroe that day. And so, um, who's a um, man, Ashley's great. And, and, and so I took those four lines to her and, and then we just ran with it after that. And so I think, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of the like you said, it's the progression of somebody kind of coming to terms with where they are in life. You know what I mean? Like and and when I say coming to terms, like really accepting it for what it is and saying, OK, there are parts of this that aren't great. There are parts of this that are, uh, you know, this is this has been hell, but I'm going to make it better. You know, I think or I, th I think that's the plan. You know, I mean, it's it, I think so. But, <laughs> but, but it makes total sense, but I still am trying to get to the way that you and Ashley wordsmithed it. Hmm. Okay. Then just sing it for me real quick. Would you just that part? Like if you can, can you, can you sing the first, no, sing the first part of it. If you can, I'm not telling you what to do, but the sure song in a cold, cold winter coming home is one hell of a drive, but I've run through my money in Nashville. It's time to get on with my life. I'd run through like a my entire first year's thing with, with my, my publishing. Okay. So, uh, I don't remember the rest. Yeah, you do. Come on. I know the song, going Adam. Cold, cold winter, going home is one hell of a drive. I've brought through my money in Nashville. It's time to get on with my life. I've got a head full of questions, and I haven't given up on my dreams. I just can't get out of a hurry. Going, running, and gunning. And I'm falling apart at the seams. The, the, the speed is wearing me out. And I hold my heart. 
don't fall apart on me now. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I fell asleep on my own. Uh, that's always that's a codependency thing right there. That's okay. That's my thought. By you. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, wait, so it's so it's codependency on another human being. Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah. so I had it wrong. I well, thought you that- know what it it is it, it it is kind of a substance thing too because you know you kind of talk about sister spent three days and I let's see spent three days in a lonely place but at least the pain it woke me up and that's sort of that's that's kind of the beginnings of sobriety. Yeah, yeah. But what's the so line after that? Like, what's the line after that? After the sobriety? What's the line about? It's been a. I didn't have to call someone tell me not come. That's the one right there. I had one too many. No, no, no. That one that you just went over about calling somebody. The last time I didn't have to call someone to tell them that I'm coming home. Uh, that's. That's codependency, time. isn't it? Isn't that yeah. like you? Don't, isn't that like you wish somebody cared that you were coming home because you've been going home alone so much? I think that perspective was sort of was sort of staying in toxic relationships, basically. You know what I mean? That was oh, kind of okay. the idea. You know, it's like you know, the, the I, I you know, kind of having someone that that you really don't necessarily. I mean, because like with you know, when my wife and I, you know, she needs me to check in. Well, I need to check in. But when it's a, when it's a little bit more toxic of a relationship, you usually don't. You know, I'm glad to have the freedom to be away from ex, whoever this person is whether they want me to call them to check in or not. You know what I mean? So oh that's, my gosh, I had, it way, I had it way wrong. So what was your wrong. perspective on it? I thought that I thought you were feeling sorry for yourself that you don't have anybody to call and tell them you're coming home because you're just going home alone and nobody gives a flying rat's ass if you walk through the door or not. And that and I now that's that, and that's what you're fiending for is somebody to actually care. But maybe that's I think what you're it was saying. Nice to have, it was nice to have someone that didn't do that in that place in my life. Yeah. It was, oh, it, it was wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I was it was nice to not have to check. Well, to, to not check in whether I had to or not. Yeah. Cause that was, think, that was a song before Brittany and I got married. So do you think that some artists would be intimidated to sing that song because they didn't come up with it? Do you, I, and I'm asking that in a broad spectrum, Adam hood of like, in today's world, it seems like a lot of artists want a piece of that writing, a piece of that publishing, a piece of that, you know, pen to, to pin their pencil to paper. They want their name on it. Right mm-hmm. now, when I hear that song and I went into and I'm in my swimming pool and I'm singing it and everybody's like, what'd you say? I would, I might lie and say, yeah, I wrote that because it's so good. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, do you think people would be intimidated to ever write to, to lay down a song like that because it's so heavy and it would be so difficult to put it together the way that you did? Or is that, is that me or artists always looking for the next big hit? And if it's a hit, it's a hit. I think, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think, I, I think there's something to that. I think that, that, that I have a, that, you know, I have a little bit of ownership. It's kind of like I was saying, you know, like kind of singing yourself out of a job and writing yourself out of a job. You know, there are songs of mine that, that I, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but you know, I got buddies that, that, that have said, I really want to cut that song, but I won't touch it, you know, just because of the fact that like, that's an Adam Hood song. And, you know, and if, if I, if I put it on my record, the world's not the world, but you know, whoever's heard that song is going to say, man, that's an Adam Hood song. And they're going to judge it based on that. You know, I mean, so is that good or bad? I don't know. I mean, there's a part of me that says, God, that's an arrogant thing to say. But then there's also a part of me that says, yeah, you kind of wrote yourself out of a job with that one. You took so much ownership. But I think you kind of have, Adam. I think that when I hear yeah. you, when I hear you and Brent do music, nobody can do keep them on their toes like Brent just no, did it. Right? right. They can't. They can't. So 
is Brent so stubborn that he's like, I don't give a shit if anybody cuts this or not. And are you also, because you guys are riding, and this is how I started this podcast is that you're not riding big green tractor, even though David Lee Murphy is an absolute wizard and a genius of, mm. of songs. You're not writing that simple song. Maybe you have, but these songs that really touch home with me, like, like I'm looking at a couple right now, downturn. Okay. Yeah. That song, Tennessee will like Tennessee will. You're just like, that is, that song can go so many different directions. And it's really about which route she's going to take to get home. I think, That's right. uh, but the way that you wordsmith it, it's almost like that's an Adam, that's, that's an Adam hood cut. That's what Adam does. So I don't know if you're not. I don't know if you're not being simple enough to have a commercial songwriting career is as bad as that is. I don't, I'm not trying to sound hurtful. I'm trying to say no, that you're too, you're too freaking good. I think to be, I'm not saying that, the, <laughs> that there's not yeah. awesome writers in commercial, but I think your songs are intimidating. I really think I, they are. Well, and you know, it's, I think the, the thing is this, I will say, and, and I can speak for Brent when I say this, I think we've written enough to say that it's really not intentional. You know, I think that Brent and I do this because this is how, this is all we know how to do. Like I write the way I write because that's how I know how to write. Brent writes the way he writes because that's how he knows how to write. I mean, this is something that like, we didn't just, it's not just something that we came up with. Like this is, you know, I mean, my career right now is, is a, is a 30 year work in progress. And so, you know, I didn't just kind of come up with a plan when I, when I, uh, you know, got a publishing deal. So I've always worked, you know, and the, and the truth is, you know, there's, there's always different ways. And that's kind of why we collaborate. That's why, you know, that's why I don't write by myself as much, you know, because of the fact that like, I want to do things different. I, I want to write songs that, that, you know, I mean, that, that other people will cut. And, and, you know, the easiest way I think to do that is really to write with artists, you know, because I mean, if you can get down in a room with, with Luke Combs, if you can get in a room with Luke Bryan, if you can do that, then, then you'll be able, you know, the artists themselves can say, I don't like that line. I do like this line. I think this is too complicated. I think this is too easy. You know what I mean? So, I mean, they can kind of, you know, because who else, who knows their fans better than the artists themselves. And so if Brent and I are just in there trying to write songs for, you know, Carrie Underwood, we're just guessing at it. You know what I mean? And so if, if it was Brent and I sitting in a room with Carrie Underwood, we'd, we'd be a whole lot quicker to write a Carrie Underwood song just with that kind of direction. You know what I mean? Because I, I, we only write the way we write, you know, but I agree with that. But on the same, on the same side or okay. On the different end of the spectrum, you'll have an artist like Justin Moore, which I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but when yeah. I mentioned you and Brent, he said, that's high com That's nice company to be mentioned in. A, <laughs> a lot of artists have said that and you know it, they're like Adam and Brent, Adam and Brent, Brent and Adam. But so you're telling me like you want to be in the room with the artists so they can pick it up. But then when those same artists hear your new album or Brent Cobb's new album with the world is ending or keep them on their toes or shut up and sing the three that he's released so far, or if you go back to shine or if you go back to, to Providence Canyon, I would say that there's not an artist in Nashville that could hear those, those albums song for song, including all of yours and say, those guys don't have any talent. They're going to, those same artists are going to be like, holy shit, these guys are unbelievable. So yeah. why, why, why wouldn't they pick those songs when they hear those albums? Is it because they don't think they can carry them through like you, or they don't think that they're going to have mass appeal. That's where I'm stuck is how does a songwriter get a cut and get a hit? If everybody that hears your album says, holy shit, they're freaking awesome. 
Why aren't they being picked up by an artist that can have mass appeal or commercial success if you guys can't, which is bullshit and a whole other discussion that we can get into, which we already have sometimes. But, you know, does that question make sense? It does make sense. And, and you know, I just don't know, Chad. I mean, you know, I'm the same way you are. I think because, I mean, like there are songs there. There are. I think the Tennessee Wheel is a great example. That song is a song that I've I've had in my catalog for a long time. I think it's. I think it's a home run, you know, and I, I think there's a lot of ambiguity to it to where, like, you know, like you said, the listener can kind of paint their own picture. I think it I think it 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 completely expresses the South without like leaving the politics out of it, leaving the leaving the the, the piety out of it, just sort of just is a it's an entirely a Southern feel. And I mean, I don't know that that song's even been on hold. A guy named Charlie Argo just cut it and Charlie. Charlie, you did a great job. And, uh, and you, I mean, I'm sure you'll hear it pretty soon. I think his record comes out in about a month or two. And Charlie's from Alabama and just, you know, I mean, he, to me, he's, he's just a, he kind of has an Anderson East voice. And did and, you just you know, have him on? Uh, yeah, nope, not yet. Uh, uh-uh. we, I think somebody I did, did some stuff. Maybe I'm thinking uh, of somebody else. Maybe I'm thinking of Arlo. I saw Arlo was just on with Dave Cobb or something, maybe. Or maybe, I, yeah, that that's true. That may be the case. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Char- but Charlie's. I'm sure you've probably heard Ben talk about him because that's kind of a common ground that Ben and I have with Charlie and uh, what's his name, Jay Took, the guy that that produced the record. But yeah, yeah I mean, Charlie's really the only guy that's really touched that song. That's that's really gave it. It's great. You but know, that song's a smash. Thank you. That song is a smash for somebody to, especially with, with the word Tennessee being in it. And we can we hear it? Yeah, Do you mind? absolutely. Oh, I love this song, Tennessee Will. So clever. Mm-hmm. Let me get this mic out of the way. Or this. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna put you on mute so you can't hear me mm. uh, breathing <laughs> breathing heavily into the microphone as I pant over these lyrics. My man's on an old upright piano Lady in red on a banjo land Playing songs like old Susanna And getting slower with the jam I catch a ride on a steamboat, baby I'll make it home with time to kill the Mississippi River won't carry me to you. But I know the Tennessee will. Well, I never did believe in Memphis. Really ever was the end of the line. So I'm headed back to Alabama Where my heart's been all the time Well, and I know it should be easy But it's hard to say goodbye Oh, but still I I'll catch you right on a steamboat, babe. I'll make it home with time to kill. The Mississippi River won't carry me to you. I know the Tennessee way. 
and I know it should be easy. Oh, but it's hard to say goodbye. Well, but Stella, I'll catch you right on a steamboat, babe. I'll make it home with time to kill. The Mississippi River won't carry me to you. I know that the Tennessee will It'll carry me home to you, baby. Good night. Good freaking night. The, just the just the title is a clever way of putting it. Like it could have been, I mean, it's just like when you hear Tennessee wheel, it's almost like, well, are the volunteers going to win another game? Or yeah. is it like this? Or is it going to be like this, you know, this mental stability that a Tennessean has because of being from the state of Tennessee and having pride in it? But really, it's just this river like that can carry you home like it's strong strong yeah. so i i don't know man when Thank i hear you. when i hear a song you're welcome and when i hear a song like that i just wish that i don't know man i i i i guess i think that what we're doing is working hood because i can send you message after message about the playlist and thank you for turning me on to this and thank you for turning me on to that and i know you've seen it right and yeah. and now the gator boys are 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 have it all over louisiana and listening to it on all of their stuff and all of my guys in california are begging for it when i told them that you were in the studio at capricorn which i'm not going to mm -hmm. let too much out of the bag unless you want to discuss it but you know that same that week right before you did that i had charlie star on here and That's what a cool. what a discussion man like just yeah. just awesome to to have blackberry smokes founder and front man on the show like that and but he's a fan of you like right so it's like all these people are starting to well in my world at least you might have seen it for years but i'm starting to see it start to to catch momentum right and start to spread and that's all you need is you just need somebody to keep to keep stoking that fire and i think that with the support the music can get out there and i and i just hope that people understand that when they hear a song like that they can break it down and be like man that's music because i'm telling you it just happened last night i had a little get together here for labor day and i put on you and the first song that i played is she don't love me no more it had you and Cobb on there and a girl from california her name's katie looks at me her and her husband are like who is this? And I tell them and they're like, why have we never heard of him? And so then I go and I get your libraries and I start playing them. And they're just like, I freaking love this. Yeah. This is so old school with a new young, you know, a younger voice, younger generation voice to it. They loved it. So I think that that's all it takes in today's world. If you're not going to get the button pushers on music radio to do it, we got to keep figuring this out because the songs are there. I can, you know, I, and it's it's interesting because I can see when the Foul Life shows air and then I can go look at my Shazam numbers and, and like 300 percent increases. You know what I mean? So like like in the times that that specific songs of mine show up on that television show, my percentages increase dramatically. And so, I mean, you know, that's that's the thing, Chad, I, I think I, I think what you're doing is, you know, is, is you're just sort of you're not even you know, it's not like you're telling people any of it. You're just kind of playing it and they're finding it for themselves. But it's one of those things where for the longest time, just nobody's ever played it. It's been up to us to go out and pound pavement and play it for other people because 
you know, I mean, I, I can say, you know, and I, I realize where my, my gifts come from. I, I know that they're not self-made. I know that God gives me the gifts that I have, but I can say that, you know, I've never, there have been very few occasions where I've gotten in front of an audience and been booed. You know, I mean, I probably, I can probably think of one, you know, I, I was mean, there. I was there. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably so. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. It was just once. It wasn't even you, though. It was. It was just a weird deal. Yeah, it was just weird. Yeah, this is. That's right. It was. It was brown liquor, Adam. uh, (laughs) How's that going? By the way, everything's still the same there. Everything's great, man. Yeah, I mean, I just you know, it's it's really one of those things to where after a year, I just don't see the point anymore. You know, I mean, I don't know. And 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 the good news is, like, I don't really. I can go hang out in a bar, you know, I mean, I, and I can hang out with buddies that drink and stuff like that. It's just not, it's just something that it was really something that I was never really all that in love with anyway. You know what I mean? It was something, you know, I'm not really one of those guys that can kind of sit around and drink. And so if you, you know, if, if I can't sit around and drink, what, what happened for me was I wound up drinking on the job. And so, you know, which is kind of par for the course for me, but, but when, you know, when you're drinking on the job and, and you can't do your job anymore, cause I don't even drink at home. I mean, you know, we've got, I've got, beer in here that that expires before anybody opens it, you know? So, you know what I'm saying? It's really not, it's never been part of my lifestyle except for work. And so now that now I just don't, I don't drink on stage. And so I don't drink anymore, you know? So it's, it's going, that's going great. Yeah. I often wonder how, how it, how difficult sobriety could be. Um, I watched Ozzy Osbourne's documentary last night and he quote unquote verbatim sobriety sucks, but he put the F word in there. So I guess that wasn't verbatim, but he's, it just shows his, his battle with it over the years. And I also like when you went on that little road trip, you know, you're trying to get some, pick up some gigs in COVID and you got to be real careful. And Texas had some places open and six feet apart and all this, which, it's not hard for you though to go into these places and like everybody wants to celebrate with a beer after or say or buy you a shot, which a lot of people do that in, it, during a show. It's 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 easy for you now just to be like, look, I'm good. That part of my life's passed. Nobody ever no nobody ever hassled me about it to be honest with you, good. which is which I which I kind of thought was really interesting too because that sort of made me think like, man, I think people have kind of been looking forward to me sovering up because of the fact that like when I stopped asking for it, I mean you know if I didn't ask for shots, nobody offered to bring me any. You know, I mean that's probably in a year and a half. Yeah, October will be a year and a half. Um, I mean, I can say I can count on one hand the number of times someone's actually bought me a drink and it was all just out of ignorance. They didn't realize that I wasn't drinking anymore, you know? And so it just, it was kind of just a common courtesy and uh, you know, so yeah, it's really, that's not, it, 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 it's kind of boring. You know what I mean? Like that was the one thing that, that really kind of, and I think because I didn't, I don't think I had a physical dependence. Like I didn't have to, I didn't have to deal with any kind of withdrawals or anything like that, but you know, there was, there's that time between load in and showtime that is really boring. You got to kind of find something to do, you know, because those were usually the times when I would drink the most, you know, I would say all artists is like, that's, I I think besides the Zach Brown band, I mean, I've been around them enough to know that there's a rule that you can't do anything until after the show. Right. You know, that's how it was for years. But I would think that that lifestyle, man, that's what that that's what music was built on was the party scene. So, I, I mean, I'm congratulations. I'm I'm, I'm proud of you. It just seems Thank like you. it would it, it seems like it'd be a lot tougher to stop than what you're a lot uh, alluding to, which, you know, 
personally, I think it'd be hard for me not to go to even a, a, a little pool party like last night and not have a beer or two, right? Yeah. It seems yeah. like it just goes with the territory. So yeah, and, it, and, and now granted, I will say this. I mean, it, it was it was it was hard to make up my mind, and I mean, I was really kind of scared. You know, I mean, I remember thinking to myself, "How in God's name am I going to quit?" And then, but but that was the thing that was so surprising. You know, the, the hard part was actually was actually m- making my mind up to do so. And once I did, it was a lot easier than I thought. Once I decided to, you know what I mean? Like once I said, "Okay, no more. I'm not doing it anymore." Once that happened. I mean, I just, you know, granted, like I said, you know, it's, it's still internally, but externally, nobody, nobody cares. They don't care if I drink or not. I mean, you know, if, if I want to drink and I still, I mean, my friends say that to me all the time. They're like, if you want to drink, we fine, help yourself. Nobody's going to judge you if you do. And nobody's going to judge you if you don't. That's been the way it is with me and, and the people that I, that I run with, you know, which well, is great. You know, it's been, it's, it's been how I've been able to kind of stay this way. Have you been able to, when you went to lay these songs down, are the new songs on the new album that you just recorded sober written songs or are they from the past when you were still on the saws? Uh, one song is called, and, and you know, we're, we, it, it's, it's probably one of the strongest songs we have recorded. It's called the harder stuff. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's about getting sober, you know? And so there's that one, but um, I hit on it. But that's about it. You know, I mean, I don't want to beat the tar out of it. You know, I mean, there's a, I mean, a lot of this stuff is because, you know, Brent did a great job um, as the producer on this. He went back and listened to my entire catalog. So he, he sat through uh, over 300 tunes and listened to every one of them. And so he picked some songs that I've written 10 years ago, but then also picked some songs that I wasn't finished with yet. I mean, the harder stuff was one that I wasn't done with. Um, and so, so there's a, there's a, a, a large time frame that we kind of cover. And I do, I do that in all my records. I mean, like, you know, the last record, that first song on their heart of a queen, I'd written that 10 years before. And then downturn was probably weeks old when I recorded it. So both great yeah. songs. Thank you. When you mentioned the harder stuff, it reminds me of a Chesney tune about the bartender saying, that's not the good stuff. This is the good stuff. And he starts talking about the kids and the wedding ring and the spaghetti burnt, burnt food and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of that same analogy, but the harder stuff, I would guess that when I hear it, which I have not was going to be about the hard stuff is brown liquor and gin and, you know, alcohol, but the harder stuff is leaving that behind. Is that, is that what it was? That's spot on. That's not a hypothesis. I guess that would just be a guess. (laughs) It's a good guess. (laughs) I mean, that's a guess. You you nailed it. Yeah. So what was the vibe like Capricorn studios? Give me a little history of this joint, man. Okay. So that was uh, Phil Walden and I believe his brother, Jerry. So that was now granted, I'm the cliff. This is the cliff notes of the whole story. So that was in Macon, Georgia. It was, it was basically the studio that they started and they were responsible for the Allman brothers and Leonard Skinner and, uh, and some people like that, you know, and, and Macon is like little Richards from Macon, Otis Redding's from Macon, you know, I mean, Macon, Georgia is kind of a, kind of a, uh, music for real, like a music Mecca. And so, um, that studio was there and man, I mean, there's a lot of great records that came out of there. Um, you know, a lot of the Almond Brothers stuff was recorded there. I don't know how, what Skinner records were recorded there. I think, I think Walden was just Skinner's manager. I don't know that they ever recorded in Macon, but they did a uh, wet Willie recorded there. Um, and a bunch of other, I mean, they had Delbert McClinton albums that, that were on Capricorn records, you know, cause they had the studio, but then they had a record label. Okay. So, so the building's been there for a long time. 
and Mercer University that's in Macon uh, went in and, and bought the bought the facility. OK, and so I saw pictures of it and the building that the studio was in, the ceiling had caved in and the floor was coming out. But the studio room itself was was completely intact. So it, it like just just that is really kind of cool mojo as it is you know what i mean and so they just they they went in and they sort of didn't change a thing and they just updated a lot of their recording equipment they got a new api board in there and and you know got some good mics and stuff like that and and then of course rebuilt the building and made a museum out of it they've got a little uh they got a little recording like a a a, a little stage area where they can do small shows and stuff and it was just i mean it was exactly what you would think, you know, I mean, it was just a great, it was nice to get out of Nashville. It was cool to go record in Macon and we stayed there for a week and just, you know, uh, Charlie and Brent and I, we all kind of stayed in the same, we all, we stayed in the same house and, and just hung out and, and just spent all day recording and went home and made a sandwich and went to bed, you know, and <laughs> that was about it, you know, so Brent it was, said, it was Brent, really great. Brent said it was exhausting. It, it was a lot of work. I mean, it was, you know, they were, I mean, they were probably, we, we did 12 hour days, 12, 14 hour days sometimes, but that's the beauty in it, man. You know, I mean, when I was land surveying, I'd never do it. I wouldn't do an eight hour day sometimes, but a 14 hour day playing music is not even, I could, you know, I could have gone 10 more minutes, just, you know, physically my, my pipes wear out, you know? What kind of musician is Charlie Starr being in the room with him like that? Is he, is he as legit as the world or like what we know him as with Blackberry just ripping the guitar and his knowledge and the, does he have a really high music IQ? He played, I mean, he played as, as much pedal steel on, on the record as he played guitar on the record. And I mean, that was, you know, that was the thing that was really surprising. You know, Charlie and I, so we graduated from high school. He graduated a year before I did. And, and we graduated from high schools that were 15 minutes apart. So we were, we grew up really close to each other. Teams played football together or played, played each other in football and stuff. So we got a lot in common, but it, you know, we didn't really get to know each other until the past couple of years. I think we opened for him in North Carolina and that was kind of the beginning of it, you know, and, and, uh, so we got, a, we have a lot in common and, and, you know, stylistically, you know, we all, we both played a lot of the same places coming up, like, you know, that kind of East Alabama, West Georgia kind of stuff, same places Brent came from. And you, you kind of listen to a lot of the same music and, uh, yeah, there's just, we have, a, we got a lot of common ground, yeah, he's a great guitar player. And there's a there's a big difference between being a studio guitar player and being a live guitar player. I feel like I'm a great live guitar player, but I don't really I don't really enjoy playing in the studio. There's a lot of there's just a lot of there's a lot of techie kind of stuff that you really, you know, like you kind of need to know what what amps you need to use for the studio and kind of where your mic placements are and stuff like that. And just stuff that's a little over my head, stuff that you don't have to worry about live. And Charlie's great at both of them. I mean, he's great at both of them. It's I mean, it's all in his hands, but there's a lot that goes on outside of his hands that he's really great at. And then Britt Turner and Richard Turner, Richard played bass and Britt played drums and they were just spectacular, man. They were great. Did Coy help out at all? Was Coy going to help? We talked to Coy about trying to come and do some keyboard stuff and just, we just didn't need him really, you know? So he was, he was available and was, I think had we have, had we have needed it, would have been happy to help because we talked about it, but no, we just. just Coy Bowles is a hell of a musician. Yeah. He's really talented, man kind of the same thing i mean you know with with those guys zach well i used to play a place called the dixie tavern 
in Smyrna, Georgia. Well, kind of outside of Atlanta. And that was, that was Zach's room. And well, man, Zach and I have a lot of interesting history. Uh, Zach used, Zach used to have a place in Eatonton, Georgia that I used to play. That was his, that was his dad's. I, well, I don't know. Was that stuff. the supper club or the country? No, it was called Zach's place. Zach's and, place. Uh-huh. And so I used to play there. I played there every other Wednesday night for about two years. And then, uh, we played, we played the Dixie, the Dixie Tavern a lot, but then Zach would play there every Tuesday night. And when he got his deal with, with Live Nation, they just kind of started phasing out. And we started, we kind of took up, we took up some of those Tuesdays. And so, you know, about half his crowd dug it and about half his crowd wondered where Zach was, you know. And so <laughs> it was, it was pretty cool. But that area, I mean, that's, you know, where those guys are from, that's where I'm from too. When you, when you would see Zach in those old days, did you know that his career would do, cause that his career is not normal. They, they, they have a machine, right? Before COVID you're talking 15 to 18 tour buses, 28, 18 wheelers, a stage that's enormous. Like it's, it was, did you ever see that happen when you were watching him live? Was there signs of it? No, they were, they were just a bar band, but yeah, I mean, as, as far as like, as far as the, the scale of it, they were a bar band, but as far as like their ability, yeah, you could tell something, something was happening, you know, and it, it, it was, it was Zach, but it was also a lot of the guys that he had around him. I mean, he just, you know, it, he's a, he's a stellar player, but he also kind of is, is good enough to find other stellar players and, and, you know, sort of, they all became a unit. And, you know, I think the last time I was, I played at Zach's place, I did a show with him and I've opened a bunch of shows for him. It's been a long time, but, you know, I mean, we've done a lot of stuff together, but that last time I, I went and sat in with him and it was pretty intimidating because it was one of those things to where like, you know, Wyatt Durrett, Wyatt, this was before, this was before chicken fried. And so Wyatt was managing this bar and Wyatt said, uh, he said, man, just get up there and play your songs. And so I said, well, don't they need to like, don't they want to hear them or see how it goes? Like, don't they need to know what key these songs are in? They said, no, they'll just follow you. And sure enough, man, I mean, I played like some original material and like, they never got lost. They just, they're, they're that tight and they know how to watch and listen. And just, I don't know. It's, it's really kind of cosmic to be honest with you. It's pretty they're they're yeah they're they're stellar it's outer space they're the best original cover band of all time <laughs> i think you're absolutely right do they do covers like <laughs> like amazing right like yeah right insane. they take them make them their own they do so this new this new project are we allowed to know the name of the album yet we don't have a name yet do you know so, what the cover art's going to be on the vinyl I have no idea. I would say probably not a picture. Um, I don't, you know, I, I grew up in that time when like, you know, when Molly Hatchett made records and like kiss records and stuff like that, you know, those things used to give you nightmares. And so like, I kind of dig, I dig album covers that aren't the band. You know what I mean? Like, like if you saw like to see the Molly Hatchett album covers, you would think they were a metal band and they're like a Southern rock band. So I kind of, I sort of like the mystique of, well, like, you know, welcome to the big world. You know, I mean, that just had, it had my legs on it. And then like uh, the shape of things, that was just a, you know, it, it was basically just supposed to look like a, the cover of a book, you know? And so I like that kind of stuff. I like, I like not knowing, like not knowing what an artist looks like. And so I kind of like that sort of, that, that mystique. I don't have, I don't have any other outlet for, for being mysterious other than that, not showing my face on an album cover. Speaking of not showing your face, and you mentioned Molly Hatchet looking like a rock band, but they're really a Southern band. Yeah. What kind of band was Kiss? Not showing your face. Were they good? Were they good musicians? Was it tacky and like a circus sideshow? 
or was Ace Freely and Peter Chris in the original lineup? Were they true badass musicians? Is Gene Simmons a good bassist? Is Paul Stanley a good frontman and a good songwriter? And I'm asking you because I've never taken them real serious as a legit mm. rock band, but I can groove with some of their shit. And I know that their live show has been successful for decades, but what kind of band would you, are they an American rock band or are they kind of like a, a kind of a character show or something? Well, I think, I think they understood the, the, the theatrics of it. You know what I mean? But I also read like, there's a guy named Tommy Womack that, that wrote a book called the cheese Chronicles. And like, I read the first three chapters of his book. And that was, that was the first chapter was kind of devoted to kiss because they were the band that, that he said he saw him play or he like saw him on TV or something and said, I can do that, you know? And so they were this, they were this catalyst for this generation of rockers, you know, I mean, guys that were probably, I mean, if I'm in my forties, you're probably got about 10, 15 years older than me because like I was, I was, I was, pretty young when kiss was like, make it, you know, I had a, my dad's brother had kiss albums. So I remember like, I remember that that was like 76, 77. Well, no, I was born in 75. So that was like 70, 77, 78. Anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's that. I think that there was a, sim- a simplicity to their stuff that really made it appealing. And, and it was, I mean, all you got, man, you plug a, plug a Les Paul into a Marshall and all you got to do is just no chords. I mean, they get the, the, the equipment kind of does the work for you after that. And I think those guys kind of, they kind of tapped into that, you know, speaking of the decade that you're born in, it brings to brings a question to my frontal lobe, Adam hood. I'm in the same way. I was born in 74. People are going to be like, God, you guys are old. No, <laughs> I honestly think that we were born in the greatest decade. Now, some could argue the fifties or the sixties, right? And I'm talking music, mm-hmm. but we got, we were at that right age to know what hair metal was and to know what quiet riot was. And ACDC was becoming real popular with the black album at that time in 83, whenever that was. And then yeah. you move a little bit further into the decade. Um, and at the same time, you got Zeppelin ripping the seventies and you got yeah. Ozzy, you got Ozzy leaving black Sabbath and he's starting his solo career with diary of a madman and blizzard of Oz and bark at the moon and randy Rhodes days of crazy train and all that shit and i did know all of that before i watched the documentary last night so i don't want you to be thinking i'm just like well chad's just regurgitating shit i'm a huge aussie fan but then you move a little bit further into the decade and then you had appetite for destruction which wasn't a hair band but you still had all the hair band you have cinderella going on and queen drike which is a great theatrical band and then at the same time you have great harmonies happening with hall and notes from the late 70s mm-hmm. through the 80s and then the 90s hit and you got you got nirvana and you got pearl jam and you got soundgarden and chris cornell and all this grunge and this this different kind of rock and roll and then all of a sudden at the same time in in the late 80s and the early 90s you got the hat pack hitting in country music yeah. and you got garth and travis Tritt and Mark Chestnut and Tracy Lawrence and Joe Diffie and all these badasses that are making country music the biggest thing in music now after the Outlaws were there and the Waylands and the Merles and all that kind of played their had their role um, going and then at the same time you have hip hop that's AC or uh, Run DMC's with Aerosmith on Walk This Way in like 86, 87 then hip hop blows up it's not right. underground like Grandmaster Flash and the Sugar Hill Gang anymore you got Too Short and the Two Live Crew and you got and then that goes into the late 80s early 90s and Eminem pops like is there a better time to be born to experience music and culture than being born in the 70s and you know and here's here's the irony to that that was all pre-internet man you know I mean 
you, you're, you're talking about, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, every name that you, that you mentioned is legendary. I mean, genuinely legendary. And that was probably the, you know, that was an era where, where the, the commercial quality was there and the creative quality was there. If you were, if you were great, you were famous and you, you, there was no middle of the road. The, the, the cream always rose to the top and, you know, and I don't know why, I don't, I just think it was one of those things to where like, you know, pre-internet, you like nowadays, you just don't have to dig for it. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty easily accessible. Like in, in those days, like, you know, if you wanted, if you like Bob Seger, you had to go out and buy a Bob Seger album. You know what I mean? Like you had to get in your car or get your mom to drive you to the radio shack or which, and I'm not interrupting you, Adam. Huh? Oh. It was the greatest freaking effing thing in the world to walk Couldn't into tower more. records or Marabelli's or warehouse records. And ta- I remember standing in line to get appetite for destruction when I was 12 yeah. or 13. I remember going to see D Snyder open up for Bruce Dickerson and iron maiden in 86. And I was like, this is music. This is awesome. And I had to work for it. I had to go find that stuff. I had to go up and down the cassette aisle and be like, quiet, riot, mental health, quiet, riot, come on, feel the noise. And, oh, here's our striper, the Christian rock band striper I was really into. And I'm like, oh, look at the yellow and black. And I would be so excited, man. I would get new albums and I would... A lot of them are on my wall now from hip hop yeah. to Don Williams to D Snyder and Twisted Sister and Quiet Riot and Cinderella. I just think that now it's just a touch of a button and contents. Well, evolution's everything and I get it, but I'm talking about my bias of being able to say, you got, you don't understand. I got to walk into a record store and flip through vinyl and I also got to see the explosion of all of hip hop. I got to see the explosion of country music. We witnessed all that. We were there. So when people say, oh, being born in the 70s, you guys are old. I think we're very lucky and fortunate to have those experiences that you and I and Brent, well, Brent's a little bit younger, but but my brothers and, and the experiences that we had in the culture of things. Because yeah. in, mu- in the music business now, unless you get to travel to Sunset Boulevard and understand what the rainbow bar and grill or the troubadour or the cbgb in new york and some of these places mean or you get to go to broadway and nashville and 16th 17th avenue a lot of people don't get to do it i know it's a huge tourist destination but to know the history and to get to go to those places that's one thing but to live through it in the 70s 80s 90s and then to be here in 2020 almost 21 hopefully almost 21 to get this shit year out of the way weird year <laughs> i know that everything comes in time but it just seems so awesome that me and you could sit back and go I remember my mom and dad listened to Robert Plant and then Don Williams and then Johnny Cash. And then all of a sudden I was listening to Run DMC doing Walk This Way with Steven Tyler and Joe Perry. That's killer shit. Now, is it happening today? It might be, but I just think that some of it's lost that culture piece and those touch points. I couldn't agree more. And I mean, that's the thing. You know, it's funny, man. Yeah. And, And I don't know. I don't know how this generation is finding it. You know what I mean? Because that you're right. I mean, I, I don't know that I would be here if, if I didn't just sneak, didn't sneak up on me. I don't know that I would be here if I didn't just happen to hear George Jones. I don't know if I'd be here if I didn't just happen to be, I mean, Cinderella's a great example. I mean, like those were not like when I was in seventh grade, like those were the, those were the, the tapes I was taking to my guitar teacher to say, show me how to play Gypsy Road. Show me how to play like Long Cold Winter. Show me how to play these things. And if it weren't for that kind of stuff, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to play guitar, you know? And so like, I don't know. I wonder, I, I wonder what this generation's, what, 
like what, who they're taking to their guitar teachers. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm curious, you know, I mean, Charlie's, I Charlie told a story where he was down in his party place and saw a wrecked Jeep or a wrecked Suzuki Samurai or something mm-hmm. and walked up to this little location, this little wreckage. <laughs> and there was some cassettes laying out there. And he names them on the podcast of like, he's like, goes home and puts them in. And he's like, wow, wow, this, listen to this. And that's kind of what really started his, fascination with music like really he found it and the cover art and the vinyl and the inside notes and all of the yeah. liner notes and who wrote the songs and who were they i used to look at all the acknowledgements all the time well did axel thank david geffen did axel thank uh don james you know the big photographer that was on the road and put out all the badass <laughs> books all and they were thanking all these guys i i don't really know if people really pay attention to like who helps luke bryan out on a on a tour or who luke thanks right because they only get a minute when they accept an award to tell exactly. you it, yeah and, and exactly and, and the fact like you know you're talking about randy Rhodes and guys like that i mean you know ozzy is one of those i mean i'm the same way you know i mean i'm i'm i know about as much about ozzy as is the average bear but you know i can i can name the majority of his uh, of his guitar players and like you're right with guys like like today's country music guys like i mean who is the albert lee you know i mean who is the steve warner who is i mean and those guys are there but like you know I feel like the, the common man doesn't know Daniel Donato. I do, but because I know who he is, because I work in this industry. But like, you know, I feel like that Daniel Donato is is the Steve Warner of, of this generation. I think he's an amazing country player. You know, I think that, you know, uh, just there's there's so many guys like that who who used to be that, that were household names. But now. And I think you're right. I think it's I think it's strictly due to liner notes. I think it's the fact that, that it's not accessible you almost can't Google it because I don't, I, I mean, I'm in the music industry and I don't know how all music works. I can't, I can't figure out how to find stuff through all music, you know? And, and so, and it, it's, it, it's not, it's not available to you. And so, I mean, if it's not, if you don't make it easily accessible, nobody's going to look for it that hard, you know? I mean, so it's a shame. I, and I hate that. I think it, I think because I think the guitar player, on, on work is just as important as the guy that's singing it. There's, there's texture there. The guy that's producing it is just as important. You know, well, the everything guy that's is, every, bass is huge, you know, I mean, you don't, it, we used to go to our mom's house and how, and roll our eyes at how many photo albums she would make us look through with our aunt and uncle. And I know you were the same way. And now it's just yeah. an iPhone and shit. I, I bet you I print out 1% of the pictures that I've taken on an iPhone in the last 10 years. That's sad. Yeah. That's really sad. And I've taken multiple thousands, like high tens of twenties, thousands. My mom has every picture printed out. It's the same thing in art. It's the same thing in music, I should say, because I know people still collect art. I don't know how that industry has changed as far as galleries go and the way people collect art. But in music, I used to have tapestries and black felt posters and posters and life-size posters and door posters and 3d cutouts of Merle Haggard wearing a George Dickel jacket that was at the George Dickel display. When I saw it, I'm like, I'm nowhere near old and I don't even know who George Dickel is, but I'm getting that Merle Haggard deal and it stands <laughs> still or, or yeah. like there was a fascination with the touch points. You know what I mean? Like now it's just like Spotify, you make this list, you hear it, but nobody's really like, I don't know if people even 
decorate their rooms the way that we used to anymore because they just go on their phone and they see the cover art on that little screen and that's good enough where I yeah. would go through those those poster racks that were the big black frames and I would pop through it get my number go down find the rolled up poster couldn't wait to get it to cut it open it and get it put up on the wall no frame just a bunch of thumbtacks and the son bitch would be ripped in 17 <laughs> pieces in a week but at least yeah. I had at least I had Axl Rose on my wall for a minute and, yeah. and that's and that uh, that whole deal is where that is the time that we grew up and if we would have been born in 88 it would have been completely different yeah. completely different you would have got a few years and through the 90s but you wouldn't have been in high school until the 2000s i was in high school in the early 90s and i was like holy shit i get to do all of this a, a garth brooks box set meant something now it's like what you don't well there's no such thing as a box set really anymore yeah. you don't collect them like i did i had george straits i had chris christopherson's i had i had all the rock ones you could do it's but now it's like well i don't really know if i need that box set because i'll just go get all those songs on my on my playlist real quick. It's kind of, a, yeah. it's different mentality. It creates, there's, there's, there's a lack of fascination about things. You know what I mean? There's just, you know, you're just kind of, Huge. you're just, just not as enamored with, with things as you used to be. And, and that's the thing, man, you know, when you're not as, when you're not as fascinated with stuff, you really don't study it as quick, as closely, you know, if you don't, if you don't become obsessed with something, I mean, that's, you know, I hate it. It is, it's just the way it is. You know, if you just, if it's something that just kind of comes and goes, you don't learn, you just don't learn. You gotta, you gotta dig in. Well, the, the, inter the internet destroyed the baseball card collecting deal. There you go. Same thing. baseball. Card. Exactly. Dude, I was, I was addicted. I had to have them all. I was going to shows all over the West United States. My dad'd be like, "Oh my God, another one!" And I'd be going up like, "Hey, I need that '86 Donruss Bo Jackson. I need that '88 Fleer Bo Jackson with the shoulder pads on. I need that '82 Topps George Brett. I need that Billy Ripken '88 Fleer when his when the team wrote the bad word on the the on the knob of his bat. Remember that the F face card? I still have them all mid really? condition. Yeah, the F face. They wrote F U C K and then face on the knob. So on the picture day, and then they had the audacity to have the photographer in on it. To where when Billy Ripken's holding the bat, and you know, like it had to be turned the right way. So the photographer's like, "No, you need to move the bat this way a little bit." The sun, <laughs> the sun's hitting off of a weird angle on the on the pine tar, or whatever. And they got it turned over to where you perfectly can read F U C K face on the knob of his bat. So, like, is it going through that? Like today, you could find that online. Google Billy Ripken F face card. I will. Yeah, you can find that. But back then, it meant everything to find it at a baseball card show. I don't even know if they have card shows anymore. If they do, they're not like they were back in the day, but everything changes. Everything evolves. My simple statement was, I'm proud to say that I was born in the mid seventies because by the time I was 10, I was in the thick of it. You know what else was taken yeah. off Adam hood bones brigade, pal and Peralta, Christian Hasoy, Tony Hawk. I was skating. I was ripping it up. BMX was taken off at an all time yep. high motocross, Ricky Johnson and Jeff Warden, Kawasaki against Honda. And it, that was taken off at that time. We got to experience the baddest ass time in the history of our country, in my opinion, yeah. I really yeah. do. As far as American culture goes, and and, you, and and nobody had to tell us to go outside. I'm the same way you were, man. You know, I had a, I, I mean, I did BMX for a little while, and then and then I got a skateboard, and that was it. I mean, I was gone after that, you know. And I mean, you just, you know, and you know, and we still had video games and stuff too, you know. But you know, you just did both. You went out and you skated for a little while, and you came home and you played video games, you know. So I mean, I don't know. I just I feel like that that's. But that's a little lost, you know. But even the and video, it, the same thing, like you're saying, you know, like they're like, you know, 
Tony Hawks and McGill's and Lance Mountain and those oh, listen guys. Listen to like, you go, Steve yeah. Caballero. Oh, I mean, yeah. Bra- they were stuff. the shit. Yeah. Because yeah. we had, you had developed a fascination for that kind of stuff. You do, you rem- do you remember Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol, when David Spade is playing the punk kid at the beginning and he's skating with McGill, Lance Mountain, Tony Hawk through the parking garage <laughs> yeah. and Steve Gutenberg and all the cops. Which, I mean, we had movies like Police Academy back then, man. Yep. That was yep. the shit. It was a great time yeah. to come up in. Because it taught so. it, it, it just, there, I'm not saying that any other time's bad, right? My daughter's nine. I'm, I hope that, I hope that she understands where I'm coming from. If she ever listened to this of what we got to do in 40 years, 45 years, we have got to see a lot of cool things transcend. You know what I mean? And it's like, I don't want that to go away. And when, when you, when you think about the way that you get your content now, Man, I had to go rent. I had to go to XL Skates on Plum Lane at Shopper Square and talk to Richard Barr, who owned it, where I skated at his skate park on the half pipes. I had to go there and rent movies of the surfing movies and the long summer, the longest summer movies and Bones Brigade movies. Now you could just YouTube it all, and there's no yeah. fascination with walking into that skateboard and going, "I need the new Thrasher magazine. I need that independent independent truck shirt. I'm gonna get this new Rob Roscoff and, and Mark Gonzalez vision board right." Here. Like I was yeah. so eaten up with skating, but then I would walk into Marabelli's music and I would be like, holy shit, Ronnie James Dio's on a new poster. I'm getting that holy diver <laughs> poster right there. Right. Like you don't get that anymore in culture. Yeah. I don't know if kids get that anymore. Well, I, don't that's, know. I mean, yeah, we had to, I mean, we had to go to Columbus. Why'd you Georgia, laugh so at my Ronnie? Th- why'd you laugh at my Ronnie James Dio deal? Do you not like oh, Dio? I, just, oh, I, I love Dio. Dio. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. How can you not? Uh, like Charlie Starr said in the South, a lot of Dio shit wasn't allowed to be played or even the album covers weren't allowed to be looked at. Well, and that's why you, that's kind of where you developed the fascination. Anything your parents told you you couldn't do was the kind of stuff that you did first. You know what yeah. I mean? And that stuff just, yeah, it's the, it's the epitome of rock and roll, you know? So, so yeah. I, I do you remember what you're about to say? I cut you off and I apologize, but I was wondering why you laughed at Dio. Oh, no, I just remember like going to the skate shop and stuff. I mean, we didn't have a skate shop in Oplock, Alabama. We had to I had to drive across the state line. There was a, there was one in there was one in Columbus, Georgia that we could go to. And so if I needed new wheels, I had to go to Columbus to do it. You know, you couldn't there was no Amazon. There was no Internet. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was no. just no way to get it, you know, which is you good had to be for- devoted. I understand that it's good. I'm just talking about that cultural aspect of, and then watching Tower Records and Marabellis and all of them go out of business. It's like, yeah. it was like that Chris Ledoux song when they, when they tore the last drive in down, you're like, don't tear the drive in down. That's where I did this. And that's where I met her in the back of my truck on the lawn chair. You know, like that, that, those lyrics like transcend into all different parts of culture, which everything evolves. I'm not ignorant to it. Being born at that time though, and being able to say that we played Frogger and Pitfall mm. and Renegade and, and, and uh, Asteroids and Mike Tyson's punch out and Donkey yeah. Kong. Now, now video games, you might as well just be in a 3d movie, right? I mean, it's so real. It's like, you're not even playing a video game back then. There was a fascination with this little weird frog trying to jump across traffic. You know, that's, as, yeah. that's, that, that was as good as the graphics got even though Mike Tyson's punch out looked kind of real, but now even the body movements with all the technology, they actually get boxers and baseball players and golfers and quarterbacks in the studio to mimic what they're doing. And then it's just Tom Brady throwing a ball. Well, I just watched that on the Super Bowl. I had to play Tecmo Bowl when Bo Jackson would run your ass over, but he looked like a three inch little gadget you made with Legos, right? Like little squares. Yeah, he looked <laughs> yeah, like a Lego man. Yeah, exactly. And it was awesome. It was freaking awesome. Techno Bulls. Remember, you do, huh? See, I I just think that we grew up at the cool time, man, that we got 
I mean, just just to know that we were there when the outlaws were still hot, and then the the hair the grunt there before grunge and the and the hair metal was taken off, and then G and R to see Axel in his prime. I always go back to them because it's the best of all time in my opinion. But just everything that was going on that we talked about, Adam Hood of the the biking and the motocross and and even sports back then, man, the pine tar incident in the '85 World Series and pre steroid days oh, and wow. guys, Lenny Dykstra had chew oh, the size of a freaking donut in his mouth and he's spitting all over the astroturf at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. And like, and George Brett had a chaw and, and like, it was just gritty. Pete Rose was yeah. gritty. And now it's like, well, if you don't come out and speak against what you believe in and you know, you got to do all this political, like that, it was raw. The eighties and the, growing up and being born in the seventies and going through the eighties and living through the early nineties, I just think it was raw. And I know things started to change in the mid nineties to where we are now, the last quarter of a, of a century. But I'm telling you, man, those, that, that time when me and you and I were born, Adam Hood, it was awesome. Like you need to write a song about like, this is when life was life, man. I just think it really was. That's a cool decade to be born in, bro. That's a great idea because there's a lot of it, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you could, that you could really dig into. I mean, especially sitting here talking about it, you know, I mean, just, you know, I mean, yeah, the A's and and the whole steroid thing. And just, I mean, you know, just man back, you know, and, and it was back when like, I think it was before statistics and before, you know, before, the, the fantasy sports aspect of it came and before, you know what I mean? Before you had to, you know, you, before you really, before you really cared what someone's stats were when they could just be a, when they could just be a, a, a star, you know, I you know, know why, was, you know why? Because yeah. we had their baseball cards and their posters. Yeah. We yep. had their posters. We got stickers of them and David sunflower seeds and jumbo sunflower seeds. We th- th- we would get that and we would hang on to that like it was the holy grail, man. It yeah, was they like, were larger than life. Yeah, they were larger than yeah. life back then. But now it's so easy. If I want to tweet or text LeBron James or or a musician, I think that I can because everybody's so accessible now. At least you think that, that they are by right. the way that you can just go on and see what everybody's living before. Dude, you didn't know how many nights Wade Boggs and, and George Brett were drinking beers together after a game. You didn't know that. Now you it's romanticized like, about it. Yeah, yeah you exactly. romanticized, yeah. but now it's like yeah. TMZ spoils everything for you. Know, oh, I don't know. tell me my heroes do that shit. No, they don't wear sweats to the store when they're buying tomato sauce. They're all man. They got to be dressed up and looking on the nines all the time, right? It's, I don't know, man. I just I think there's something in there as far as like the idea of a song goes of that. I don't know, man. I'm just thinking out loud. Like I just love the fact that I was born there and that I can be 45 and still look so freaking young, Adam, I'm, which I I'm know that some, you'll agree. I'm going to make some notes about that, by the way. All right. Make sure you say <laughs> the words in there. Dio and bones brigade. Get a little writer credit. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> make you, uh, make you a co-writer on that. I will. Uh, well, who was the guy that did the song about the eighties? Was it, uh, uh, the Pac-Man and the, uh, the seventies, the eighties and the nineties. There was Maybe actually Joel one. had one that we didn't start the fire was that was, well, he went through a bunch of decades, but this one was the country one. Bucky Covington. No, it was way younger. It was, uh, Oh, come on, man. It was, uh, not Chris Cagle, but in that time air, a guy, Tracy did, Lawrence. Nope, no, it wasn't time marches on. It was the one about, it was the one about, um, that you're playing pet. They, he actually, this song may have already been written. Adam hood. What is that song called of where you're playing Pac-Man and then the Rubik's cube was famous. He does the seventies, the eighties, and then the nineties. It was 1970 something. That's it. That it? Yep. 
It was nineteen eighty. See, they already wrote it. And we didn't even think about it. God, it was nineteen seven. Man, what was that song? Was it? It wasn't Mark Wheels. I can't remember the guy's name. That it, it, it's kind, it was in the Mark Wheels age. Yeah, nineteen eighty something is the name of it. I think. Yep, nineteen eighty something, and it was done by. Mark Wills, good call. Whoa, look there at it me. Is, right? Look at that right Can't there. There's the video there he is, for right there. Put nothing past me, I know. So that <laughs> song that we're literally sitting here talking about, he kind of did. It was 1970-something, yeah. Dukes of Hazard, which is not something that you'll never see on TV again. Um, <laughs> anyway, what, what do you think is going uh, – is there a song on the new album that we can hear today? Is that legal or do you have to keep them all a 100% secret for now? Is Because oh. your producer, I mean, that dude can get pissed and he knows karate. He has nunchucks. Um, Brent Cobb is like a secret technician, you know. Did he tell you he knows karate? I know for a fact that joke about no, no, damn karate. <laughs> hey, <laughs> he may own some nunchucks. But hey, knowing, owning nunchucks don't make you Bruce Lee. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's that's not, you know. There's another part of when we grew up. How many people know who freaking Bruce Lee is? I know. That's very true. I watched every Enter the Dragon, all of his movies. Plus, do you remember this name in martial arts? Nine Lives of a Ninja, Show Kazugi. I watched every VHS tape for years and now beta that movies. I don't know. Beta, what about Stephen King, Maximum Overdrive? Remember that on oh. beta? ACDC like did the soundtrack. The whole dude. soundtrack, dude. Yeah. yeah. Badass. I mean, when, the, when the machines would come alive. And that scary ghost, like the, the gremlin face on the top on the front of that truck. Oh my gosh. And then so and then, good. And, so then good. and then the and then you go into stuff like cinema, right? Like comedy. I'm a little bit different here in like classics, right? Like I think that the two funniest movies ever made, Laugh for Laugh, are super bad and wedding crashers and they were made in, they were made in the mid the, like the 2010 air 2008 yeah. 2010 you go back to the fletches and the caddy shacks and the police academies and the vacations like chevy chase that raw comedy of 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 him and cousin eddie like the scene in christmas vacation when they're walking in walmart and eddie's just putting all the old roy dog food <laughs> in the basket right just fills the whole thing up with like seven steps into the store like it's just like it was the movies were hilarious i don't think they were as funny as like what Vince Vaughn and these guys do in some of the movies that I just named. But as far as like consistent, awesome content to watch from the cinema, like really, really good comedy. I don't know if there's a more, a better time in history than that time when Saturday night live was getting huge. And then yeah, all those people, that's, yeah, I was saying Saturday the late, night live was the probably, late, yeah. the late seventies, all the way through the eighties. It was dude. Think about Caddyshack. Think about how ahead of the time that that movie was man with Rodney Dangerfield and how raw that was. Then you had Porky's. Then you had, then you had uh revenge of the nerds, which is one of the, my favorite movies of all time. Like, I don't know if that kind of movie would ever be made again where a bunch of nerds are competing with a bunch of jocks for a bunch of hot cheerleaders doing wonder joints planting <laughs> plant, planting planting cameras in the sorority house um you know sending greased up pigs into a fraternity party like i don't know i don't know like it's just like that that whole air of those those classic comedies were amazing 
But there's so many demographics of people in, in society and stuff that just can't take a joke anymore. I mean, that stuff was funny because it was kind of picking on certain people, you know, and it was like it was the nerds picking on themselves. But, you know, it like kind of picked on the Greek society and picked on this, you know, and everybody thought it was funny. And like, I don't know, you just can't you can't get away with that stuff anymore. You know, it's just and nobody can take a joke anymore. I can't. I, I think it, pick on me all you want to. I don't care. Oh, I would love it, dude. Make a joke about a guy from Reno, Nevada in the desert that thinks he knows how to duck hunt. And then tries yeah. to make a TV show about himself, right? Like I know, that's laugh funny. Laugh the bank if you want to. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny in itself, right? Like that's hilarious. Nobody <laughs> would ever try. Funny, yeah. You got to be from Arkansas to make that movie, right? You got to yeah, be I a know. duck hunter. You got to yeah. actually be a duck hunter. Building, stop faking <laughs> people out. You know, the what truth I mean? is better than fiction. You know, it's a better story than fiction. Fake it till you make it, dude. Now <laughs> I'm doing. Now I'm doing it on Traeger Grills, Adam, and cooking like and like people are like, you don't really know how to cook, and I'm like, how do you know? You'll never know. Yeah, You'll never check it know. Out. Yeah. Come eat my food. That's yeah, right. Just come try it. Just come try it. Are you, uh, are you uh, thinking that you could play us one today? Yeah. A new oh, one. Yeah. I'll, a new I'll one. Play, I'll play the harder stuff. Oh, now the yeah. lyrics, I'm, I'm not uh, there. There may be lyrics that, that may change. So don't hold me to some of the lyrics because we haven't really finished vocals on them. But yeah, I mean, I've played this song out, out in front of some people recently. So I'll do this. So you can get my situated. This cable is wearing me out today. Okay. What in the world? Hang on. Okay. Years worth of liquor in two months' time. It's hard on a man tonight. I couldn't see straight to the left or the right and decided to change my ways. So if I walked off stage and say goodbye without hanging around drinking and telling lies, there ain't nothing wrong. It ain't nobody's fault. I just finally realized lately I've just been hanging on. I love people, but I ain't that strong. I have my reasons for moving on. These days, liquor don't ride my song. It ain't right for a family man to build a house on shift and sand. So don't think that I've given up. I'm taking on the hard stuff. There ain't no telling what the neighbors are thinking. Stop me. If I pour it all down the kitchen sink, spill it all over the floor. So it's so long, the day's gone behind closed eyes. Ain't no other heart but mine. There ain't nothing wrong. 
It ain't nobody's fault. I just finally realized lately I just been a hanging on. I love people, but I ain't that strong. I have my reasons for moving on. These days, liquor don't divide my song. It ain't right for a family man to build a house on ship and sand. But don't think that I've given up. I'm just taking on the hardest Don't think I've given up. I'm just taking on a Freaking night, bro. Thanks, come man. on. Come on. How old is this song? This is new, obviously, with this time in your life. We finished it. We finished it one out when we were when we were in Macon. So it's brands, brand spanking new. Uh, we, my buddy Davis we, Nixon and I started it. And then, then Charlie and Brent and I finished it. So there's 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 gonna be four writers on it. Mm-hmm. The 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 line about it ain't right for a man to build a house on shifting sand. Holy shit. Is that deep? Mm-hmm. That's deep. Because Thanks, your family's back at home, but nothing's stable because the leader of the house is freaking falling down, passed out drunk some nights. And that ain't how you're supposed to build a foundation or a freaking family or a house. Is that what that line's saying? Yeah. I mean, well, it's just, it's biblical, you know, I mean, that's, that's sort of where that line came from. Just, you know, I mean, if you, I mean, you know, I don't know. The Bible's a good a good thing to quote from. <laughs> you can always paraphrase stuff from the Bible and it's accurate. You know what I mean? So yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much the the, the premise of it, you know. Good, I mean, that's beautiful, bro. That is beautiful. Thanks, man. It's thanks. almost it almost the song almost is a story like it's a long time before it even gets into the first hook. There's a lot said before you get to the hook. Am I right? Yeah, which is kind which is kind of uncommon. You know what I mean? Like that's really one of those songs that, like, usually you kind of. I mean, if you're not into the hook by the first thirty seconds, you've lost most people. And so, you know, it's really it's a challenge to kind of do that to to give any kind of lead up, any kind of storyline, and make it interesting. So I'm glad to hear you say that. I mean, that's that's mission accomplished with that. So that's really that was. See, look at maybe I have some freaking skills in this business, man. Totally, totally. I, I, I think need to you get got in tons on. of skills. You I've been trying. I've been trying to write a song for a long. I've been trying to write a love song. There you go. See, some, look, <laughs> that song is badass. Thanks. I just want to go over some of these real quick. Give me a second. Okay. Way too long speaks for itself. Thanks. She don't love me is on a different level of just i just love the way that the song flows it's such a good tune yeah um 
trying to write a love song is such a badass window down thinking you're Superman in the front seat of your 72 Ford with an eight track player, maybe cassette and just the old days of being in my old 68 Chevy Stepside with a straight six two fifty, and thinking I was something man thinking that I, yeah. there was no kryptonite. Like I'm really like finding that girl and I'm going to write a li- like that song just does it for me. Hell of a fight. You did it. Uh, genius downturn. Genius. Um, Tennessee will genius. Buzz is like neon. Amazing. 22 days too long. Alabama moon. Heart of a queen. Flame and gasoline. I'm naming songs that you should all go out and listen to. Bayou Girl. Don't This Sound Like Love. I'll sing about mine. There's a song that we played right here called The Countryist featuring mm. Sonny. What's Sonny's last name? Sonny Sweeney. Yeah. Amazing song. Almost John, almost John Prinish song about, you know, he likes his eggs and, 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 ga- and monkey and all. What was the song I'm called? Thinking of, what am I thinking of? The do what he did. Yeah, yeah. He, he likes his sniffs and his undies. Yeah, yeah, what's the song? Me and you Never are not good on the, In spite of ourselves. In spite of ourselves. Song. Yeah. That's got some feel of that. Um, front porch thing. Are you serious? Like this song is a bad mother effer, man. Like that <laughs> Thanks, song man. needs to be heard right now. I could keep going, but if you don't have this light locomotive, locomotive is an amazing freaking written song. Confederate Rose. Um, there's grandpa's farm. Drake white cut this. Several people have cut yeah. this. How it doesn't become a hit with how clever it is. is so bad to them. That song is, I just picture a beautiful girl and her grandpa's farm being try. you know, not trying to talk you out of leaving. Like that song is insane. Um, again, I, 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 I'm jealous that, that Brent Cobb, got to listen to all 300 of them without any interruption. And that's what people should do. I'm being for real. That's what, that's what I'm seeing my man. Why I let you go on this podcast is when I, and you know that, you know me, I'm Mr. Like thinking I know how to throw a shindig. Right. But I throw a lot of them because I love people. Like you said, that's all fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't wait to have you out for one. But did you see Paul McDonald on top of my grotto? I did, yeah, and I was really jealous. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, this I do. You want to come out and do one? I'd love to. I'd love to. Okay. In well, fact, I'm gonna, yeah. Okay. We'll make I'm, some plans. I'm gonna yeah, look at the I'll weather report to see if we can fit it in before October. Okay. Is that when? <laughs> is that when season opens? Is duck season open out well, there? It's just the weather turns for a pool party. But but I did. Uh, it's funny. It's funny that I'm on a podcast with you and I get this text from our mutual friend Ben Ratliff, who, by the way, is in charge of the Foul Life playlist on Apple Music that you really need to get. Yeah, but it's in good hands with him. He says, yeah. "Yo, I need to talk to you about hood and hunting this season." <laughs> And I said, oh, that's funny because we're on a podcast together right now. I've been blowing these duck calls every day, man. I've really been practicing hard on these things. So it's time to it's time to really put some rubber to road with these calls. Let me hear it. I don't have them. I don't have them with me because one of the kids are asleep. I got oh, this chit chat though. Are they still asleep? Are the kids still asleep? I can't blow them hard. That's not loud enough. I can't blow it hard. Let me see you do it. Let me see that again. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to tell you something real quick. Okay, go. Okay, can you see me? Yeah. My elbow's straight up and my wrist is straight. So I want you to drop your elbow, but I want you to keep your wrist straight. Okay, see how it forms like that duck head or that snake head? Yeah, okay. Okay, that is the ultimate back pressure in a duck call. Now, take your hand and I want you to loosen up these three fingers here, your middle, your ring, and your pinky. They're one unit. I want you to slightly just tap those three tips of your finger on the fatty tissue of your palm but not tight 
Now, I want you to just to cup it like that. See how it's got that snake mouth now? Yeah. Now, you do not move your fingers. I don't want you flapping at all. That's all show off and tempo. You don't need that. I just okay. want you to go. I just Let me see if I got a duck call in here. I don't think I do. Okay, do not move. See, you moved your fingers. Man, okay, all right. You're moving your fingers. That tone's good, though. I've learned so much, dude. That tone's good, though. Is it good? Is it really good tone? Yes, but it's I mean, hard. This is to, it's, me blowing at six, like. Okay, now I see another thing that I want you to do. Okay. I don't even know if you could, if you would be able to hear me blowing a duck call, but we're going to end this podcast right now. I'm going to I'm going to work with Adam Hood for five minutes Man, on a duck call because I don't know I don't know if I'm going to be able to, um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to even let you hear my call because of the yours is cutting out because of the audio levels a little bit. Yeah. So I don't know if we're going to need to turn them. This has been another episode of this life ain't for everybody podcast. Please get the playlist called the foul life on Apple music. Get all of Adam hoods. Don't just stream his music, buy the albums, get his merch. What's the p- website, Adam hood, adamhood.com. Pretty simple. Yeah. Has and some of the best, the has some of the best merch, has some of the best merch in the business. Like you said, just now I cut you off because that's the problem with some zoom sometime. And talking with Chad Belding is that I tend to talk over people sometimes, Adam. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's good, man. You're better at it than I am anyway. What they, That'll get you to their, your social media, Instagram, Facebook, all that. But ladies and gentlemen, if he if you couldn't really hear the pitch and the tone in this man's voice, how he's singing now, and he's actually kind of pussyfooting around some of the songs, because now I just found out that his babies are sleeping, his wife's going to hit him with a, a frying pan if he sings too loud. When you hear this man live, and you hear this man on his CDs, his albums, his vinyl, wherever you get your music, I'm telling you, it's pure magic. So do yourself a favor. Go get every song Adam Hood has written and delivered. He is the man. Adam, thank you. Any closing words? Man, thanks for having me back, dude. It's all, it really is. It's, it's always a pleasure. I, I enjoy, I, 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 I learn a lot from you and I enjoy our, enjoy our conversation. So I, I'm looking forward to doing this in person. That does sound like a lot of fun. Yeah. We've only had about one hello and then one, like what's going on kind of in person before COVID. But now we're we became fast friends and I will get you and Ben these dates, but we're going to work on the duck call here for a minute. This has been another episode of this life ain't for everybody podcast brought to you by our friends out of Lynchburg, Tennessee, the one and only Jack Daniels, which I don't mean to say that because I do respect Mr. Adam Hood's sobriety and I support him. I really <laughs> do. Great. I support hey, it. I would never feed you, man. I and don't, you know I, what? That's fine. Jack Daniels supports your sobriety too. I promise you that. I can't wait to introduce you to some of those guys. I'm going to take you to Barbecue Hill in Lynchburg sometime and we're going to do a show up there. Me and you and Brent, maybe Leith, get all three of us up there on a turkey hunt this coming oh, spring. Plan yeah. on it. It's going to be okay. amazing. That it's going to be like amazing. Fun. Tom, hit that button today. We are going to go out with an Adam Hood song. I'm going to pick the song. I'm going to do the picking because, Tom, I want you to leave. Jake, I want you to leave this podcast. You know what? We're going to go out with downturn adam hood downturn to take us out you guys thank you for supporting the partners and sponsors that support us thank you for all the subscriptions the ratings and reviews please keep telling your friends and family about the podcast not just this one but the foul life podcast and our newly launched podcast where the payment ends can't wait to hear from you guys on what you think of it we're fired up for it tom hit that button this is adam hood downturn is the song thank you all very much (laughs) 